Good morning, Moraine Valley Church. How's everyone doing today? On this wet, rainy day. I feel this is like the first like cold, miserable fall day to remind me of what's to come. But hey, we're going to be cheery today because we've got a lot of things to celebrate. So I'm so glad that you're here. I hope that you're excited. I think we should be excited every time we gather because we gather around things that matter. And as we gather as a church and we remind ourselves of the truths that we just sung about, we connect with God in a real and significant way and he forms himself in us and we become more like him. And so I hope you're ready to engage with us. And if you're watching us online because of the rain, um, enjoy your time at home with your nice warm latte, snuggle up with your cat or whatever you have at home waiting for you. Uh, we're enjoying ourselves here and we're all one church uh, together. A quick announcement for you on November 27th, mark your calendars. Um, if you don't know, uh, we are participating with Miracle on 127th Street. Uh, that's where several churches, there's so many churches, I don't know if you've driven up on 127th Street lately, but there's a lot of churches here, and many of them are doing great things, and many of them are different than ourselves, but expressing the same truth uh, as we are in, in different ways, and so as a church, as a group of churches, we come together to celebrate and give thanks to all the different ways that God is doing awesome things, and so it's an awesome celebration. If you've never been to it, I encourage you to come. Moraine is hosting that this year, and so mark your calendar, and, and do yourself a favor, do your family a favor, and, and show up. Sound good? All right, I don't know, that was my, my shameless plug for that coming up. But I have a question for you this morning. Have any of you ever body surfed before? Any body surfers? So, okay, if you, if you don't know what body surfing is or if you've never burst, uh, done body surfing before, it's just like real surfing with the huge waves and the wind behind your back on a board, riding a tube, like so epically to the shore, except none of that, okay? It's absolutely none of that. It's just, it's basically like me sitting in the water waiting for the lake to toss me up on shore like a beached whale. That's what body surfing is. So if you know what it is. But as a kid, as a kid, I loved, I loved body surfing. Um, it, was, it was so fun, and I always felt so epic doing it. I always felt a little bit like, like Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves in, in, in um, Point Blank. Anyone see that movie? Come on, help me out here. This is, this is what I felt like I looked like when I was, when I was doing that. Those guys are like, yes. That's what I felt like I looked like when I was like body surfing up there. But in reality, this is what I looked like as a kid. Yeah, I know, way hotter than Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm taken, okay, I'm taken. Watch out, watch out, I'm taken. But uh, I remember one time as a kid sitting uh, on Lake Michigan, um, and I can distinctly remember this time. It was, it was a time when uh, the, the beach had been eroding, and there was a lot of rocks kind of showing themselves to the shore, and it was kind of rocky. But there was this one time the waves were great for body surfing, so I went out there, and I remember just wading in the water, waiting for that perfect wave. And you know what it's like when you're sitting in the water, and the wave kind of lifts you up, and it kind of lifts you down. And it was like a lot of fun, and I was just waiting. And, and I remember this one moment where I was just like, I turned around, and before I realized it, there was a wave towering over my head, and it was just beginning to crest. And before I, before I could do anything, I was swept up in that wave, and as I turned my face to the shore, I realized I was way closer to the rocks than I should have been. And it was like in slow motion where I was like, oh, no. And poosh, I just, I smashed into the rocks. And I just, I just hit them so hard, and it was like, ow, and I just, I was bruised, and I was scraped, and I was scratched, and, and it, just, it was just awful. But more than just being bruised and beaten and having to walk off a very unepic expression of body surfing, um, I distinctly remember that feeling of being out of control. Like I was wading in the waters, totally fine, doing okay on my own, and then all of a sudden, before I realized it, I was out of control. And I was being brought into a direction, and when I looked where I was being taken, where I looked at where the world, like where, where this water was taking me, I 
like, I, I felt like out of control and I didn't like where I was going. And I felt like I was about to get an impact that brought me fear and anxiety and it just, it just swept up in me. And if I could be honest, as we talk about the series of like, let's get real, and we talk about the world and we talk about culture wars, we talk about ourselves, I think a lot of us feel like we do in that moment that I did when I was a kid. Like we're waiting in the seas of culture, we're kind of up and down and ebbing and flowing, and for the most part, we're able to get along with everything just okay. But right now, more than ever, I think we find ourselves in a cultural moment where the wave is beginning to crest, and, and we find ourselves swept up in it. And when we look at where we're getting pushed, we look at where this is going, our hearts begin to race, and begin to panic a little bit. And, and maybe if it's not re- regarding some of the culture wars or some of the ideas of truth, but maybe, maybe it's just in your own life. You just feel swept up in a hurry and worry and scurry of life that you just, you don't know how to get out of. Like, I know where my life is going, and I am so busy, and I am so stuck. And Mike, I like this Jesus stuff. I like talking about this stuff at church. It's helpful. But honestly, I don't know how to, I don't know how to change it because I am just caught up in a current that I can't get out of, and I'm about to get smashed on the rocks, and there is nothing I can do. We feel stuck. Um, and, and so if that's you this morning, um, whether we feel swept into a current going out of control from our culture or we feel swept up in a life, I believe the good news is for us this morning that Jesus offers us a different way. So if you're feeling the weight of a changing world on your shoulders, on your children, on your family, I talk to so many parents and families and we're feeling that ourselves and we're, we're trying to figure out what the best thing to do is, Jesus offers us a different way. And if you're searching for something because you, you look around the world, and maybe you're not even really into this whole church thing yet, but you're just sort of figuring things out on your own, and you're like, you know, I just, I'm not sure the world and what it's offering is adding up. The good news is that Jesus offers a different way. And if you're feeling stuck in a rut, stuck in a current that you can't get out of, this morning the good news is Jesus offers us a different way. Pardon me. And I think a lot of it has to do with how we understand and interact with truth. So as this morning, as we find ourselves maybe feeling a little swept up, can we hear the invitation and the deeper call of Jesus into a deeper expression and understanding of his truth in our lives because we need it today? And so when we talk about truth, it could be a little confusing, and it could kind of feel like a, a big head game of a lot of different ideas. Um, and, and really, the idea that we're talking about is our perception of reality, what's real and what's not what is and what isn't. Um, And that's probably the the most common way to view truth, like what's right and what's wrong. This is it, this is real, this is reality. But truth is a little bit more complex than that because I think other times when we're talking about the word truth, we're actually talking about logic. Like there's a right and there's a wrong answer. Two plus two always equals four, um, unless you're in some of the higher math and then it can equal whatever you want it to equal. Uh, what, What makes the most sense when we look at the world around us and how do we apply it? That kind of logic sort of sense of truth. Other times when we're talking about truth, we're really talking about our experience. I think it's a true for me in my life to say that I've experienced myself to be a patient person. But then there's some times when that truth isn't true. I'm true, it's true sometimes and not other times. I'm, I'm patient sometimes, but then there's sometimes I'm just not patient. And when it comes to right and wrong, moral truth, I think there's a lot of things that are morally always right, but then there's a lot of gray categories where some things are mostly right, sometimes not. There's some things that are mostly wrong, but sometimes maybe are. For example, we could say lying is probably a morally wrong thing to do. It's morally wrong for us to be liars. And yet sometimes maybe lying is the most morally good thing we can do in the moment. Like lying to save a life. Or lying to tell your friend, like, hey, is there a surprise party going for me? Oh, no, man, not at all, not at all. Right? 
Or does, does this outfit look okay on me? Yeah? Mm. Well, I mean, I, I think we're, we're invited to try to express truth, but in those moments, so when we talk about true, I think we, we, we actually, we ebb and we flow, and there's a sliding scale about truth. Sometimes it has to do with our values. When we talk about truth, we're really talking about values. We want to say something is true, but it's a value that we hold. And, and even um, in this ebb and flow, the science has ebbed and flowed over the years. Science is simply our attempt to determine what reality is by using empirical methods and principles of observation to best describe what's really real outside of our, our eyes and our skulls, the world that exists outside of us, what's really real, how do we describe it? But even math and physics have evolved over time. Better models have been developed. Some things have been thought to be right, and then they said, well, we thought it was this, but it's actually this. And it really all those things are when we say science is the community of people trying to best describe what truth is and what reality is, and especially when it comes to the softer sciences like psychology um, and counseling. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of give and take in what we thought, and where this could be a tricky thing, and I think what we're feeling a lot in our culture today is that um, it's, it's a matter of what voices in those categories get heard and what voices are not. And so sometimes those things are, are corruptible by culture and by society. And so we're always kind of in this give and take with what we call truth. And um, all those truth ideas are expressed and woven into our cultural institutions. Um, and I think when we talk about the culture wars especially and this culture war that we find ourselves in or that we feel like is going on, there is a shift in how the majority views um, those values in our institutions such as family, government, politics, marriage, storytelling, and so on. And so for a lot of us, that's where the tension is. And I think for many believers, I think we see this increasing incompatibility with the world's expression of those things. And as a result, we personally feel anxious and sometimes feel a little bit homeless in what to do with our lives. So in the pushing and the pulling of truth, where do we go? Especially if we feel pressured to adopt an idea or adopt a value that is outside of what we think God's word would have us obey. And where do we see Jesus in the middle of it? Because at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think our goal is to try to just amass for ourselves all the right truth things and be right all the time. I think truth is meant to be expressed bigger than that. It's more compelling than that. And this is where I think Jesus and God's word provides a different way for us in an irresistible truth that the world is so desperately looking for and that I believe we as the church, as we experience Jesus, have. And so if you'd let me, I'd like to give us four truth statements today, four statements about truth and I don't want to give an illustration, I think, that we see in Scripture. It's a story, it's a moment that happened that I think could help us contextualize how we apply these things. Because at the end of the day, this, this can't just be an idea. We walked away and we learned something about truth. We have to contextualize this in the here and now, in our lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, right? I mean, we can't just, like, church was good, what'd you learn? A lot of stuff. What are you going to do with it? I don't know. Why do you go? Well, I'm not sure. But if we go and we understand truth and it changes us and it shapes how we live, I think this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. So... You guys with me? You guys ready for that? Okay, I'm gonna have some more water here. I'm still a little, a little like scratchy in the throat. Pardon me. So, the first statement I wanna give us about truth is this, is that truth is reliable. In the Hebrew word, we, we see the word truth being brought up as emet. Um, I'm not gonna pronounce it the way that it is meant to be pronounced, I apologize. But 
Uh, the first, we see this truth word met, which really means kind of firmly established, it's something firmly in place, reliable. It's like a support. In other words, it's, in one case, it's used like a rock that you can like drive a stake into and hold on to like a footing. Like if you're a mountain climber and you're looking for a place to anchor yourself as you climb, it's that kind of thing. It, it can hold you up, something that's immovable and will be there and is reliable for yourself. We see this in Psalm 119, 142, where it says this. It says, your righteousness um, is everlasting, and your law, that word for law is Torah there, is true. It's a met. Your righteousness, God's ways, his person um, is everlasting. And we look at this as that the, 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 per, like the righteousness of God, the way that he's created us to be, the, what he's intended for us is everlasting, meaning it's unchanging, and that your law, the things that you give us to obey, to express that, the emet is true. It's, it's unmovable. We can build our lives on it. So the first thing is that truth is reliable. The second thing that we come to, I think, in Scripture is this, is that truth is a person. Um, when Thomas asked Jesus where he was going, um, he answered this. He said, Jesus responded in a way um, which, actually, if you think about it, was a pretty bold thing. I mean, if you, if you ever just put yourself in the Scriptures and you're like, what would it have been like if I was sitting next to someone that actually told me that? I mean, we have the advantage of having scripture start to finish. And so like we, we look at it a little bit differently. But can you imagine being there and having someone respond to this? John, Jesus gives this big teaching about where he's going, what's going to happen with the world, and what is going to go on with his disciples. And, and Thomas is like, hey, listen, I got a question for you, but like, where are you going? And how do we get there? Because you're telling us you're preparing a place for us, and what do we do? And Jesus says this. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus describes himself as the embodiment of truth. Now that's, I mean, if I was there, I'd been like, what now? But I mean, at this point in time, the disciples have seen some pretty crazy things, and so they're trusting him. But if any one person walked up to you and said, hey, like, what's true? What's right and wrong? And he looked at them and said, I am true. You're welcome. Yeah, like, we, huh? What do you, but Jesus, over time and time and time again, proved himself to be the truth, and he confidently claims, if you want to know what's true, if you want to know what truth is, I'm it. I am the embodiment of truth. Earlier in John's gospel, John describes Jesus in this way. In John 1, 1, we say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Now, the word for word there is logos. Some of us already know this, but it's, it's where we get, it's actually the Greek word is logos, and it's where we get the word logic from. And it's, it's kind of like the whole design and the intention of what was meant to be in the world, the whole reason things work, the, why, the way and the, the, the fact that like some things work, like physics work and all this stuff is wrapped up and brought in the mind and the person of who Jesus is. And he is the truest expression of humanity and what humanity has been. As we learn later, he says he gives light to all humanity. That Jesus is not only the truest expression of truth, but he is also the greatest expression of what it's meant to be human. And when we talk about the image of God with us, that's what we're talking about. It's actually Jesus in us. And, and then John says this remarkable thing in John 1, 14. He says, then the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen the glory of the one and only Son who came to the Father full of grace and truth. Now, I know we've heard these passages over the past few weeks, but Jesus is the embodiment of truth and grace. 
So truth is reliable. We can, we can, we can bank our lives on what truth is. So when we, when we get to the truth, we know that's something we should be able to stake our lives on. And we say, like, what is the truth? The, the truest expression of truth for us is, is found in Jesus. He is the embodiment of truth. And then third is that truth is meant to be formed and expressed in us for the world. I want you to hear these words from Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. He says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into the image of the ever-increasing glory, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I mean, did you catch this? I mean, Paul says, and we, that is us, as we reflect on God's glory, specifically what he did for us at the cross, are being transformed. And who are we being transformed into? We're being transformed into the image of Jesus with ever-increasing glory, which is by the means of the Holy Spirit. Like, as, as, we, as we contemplate on who Jesus is, as we, as we look at who God is, as we put our trust in Jesus, God begins to form his son in us. And so walk through this with me. If truth is something that's reliable and we can build our lives on it, and truth is most found in Jesus, and as we trust in Jesus, what happens to us? We as a church, as people, should be having truth formed in our lives. As the church, we should become the embodiment of truth to the world around us. When the world looks at the truest expression of how to live our humanity, how to, how to live in relationship with God and creation, they should look to the church and find us as we put our trust in him, transformed to live that way. So the more that Christ is formed in us, the more that people see Jesus with hands and feet. The early followers of Jesus weren't called the, the, the truth holders. They weren't called Christians even. They were actually just called people of the way. When they, when they followed Jesus' way and the truth and the life, they lived in such a countercultural way that it stood out in the world around them. That's still true for us today. So as we talk about like living in truth and being swept up into a wave of things, I think sometimes in the midst of that moment, like I just remember panicking for a second, and it was like everything just kind of went blank, and all I thought about was those rocks are going to hurt. And I think sometimes in these cultural moments, we could find ourselves panicking and wondering, oh my goodness, where are we going? This is going to hurt. But the invitation of Jesus is, you can rely on me. You can build your life on me and look to me. Like, look to me when things are going crazy. And, and, and as, you, as, you, as, you, as you go through this, you can begin to go a different way yourself. Fourth thing is this, is that truth is formed in us when we apply it to our lives. John 8 32 says this, um, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, now the word hold like, has the idea of like, like grasping with it, holding it, like applying to it, adhering it to our lives, like making it something applicable to us. And so I think a lot of times we just stop with the you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we say that. We say, yeah, just know the truth and the truth will set you free. But it's, Jesus didn't say, like, just know it. He said you need to hold to it. You need to hold to it. And in the holding to it, you're going to discover that there is freedom. Matthew 7, 24, verse, uh, yeah, 7, verse 24, he says this. Is there everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. We say we're building our house and our life on the rock of Jesus, and a lot of times I think we reduce that to a creed. We have the right statements about Jesus, and as long as we can say the right things as a church in our creedal statements, we are good. 
But when Jesus, when we look at the teachings of Jesus, he said that's just the starting point. Like what you need to do is apply these beliefs and when you do, you will find freedom. You will find something firm that a met to stand on. Um, has, um, actually, yeah. Has anyone ever, can, can anyone ride a bike in here? How many bike riders in here? Any, I mean, maybe it was a while since you rode a bike. Did anyone ride a bike this summer? It was crazy when there was this whole COVID thing, like all the bikes just went gone. And we're like, oh, we're going to buy some bikes. We got COVID. We're going to go out. We're going to get fresh air. And we couldn't find a bike anywhere. Used bikes were gone. It was just like, everyone was like, did anyone, like, did anyone experience that yourselves? Anyways, we were like, we couldn't find a bike anywhere. But we finally got bikes and it's been great, like way later. And I've rode them maybe twice. <laughs> it's like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to ride bikes every day. And I'm like, yeah, it looks nice in the garage. Um, but in a similar way, you can have a bike and you can know a lot about the bike, but unless you ride the bike, the bike isn't doing what the bike was meant to do. In a lot of ways, truth is like that. You can, you can know the truth, and you can have a lot of statements about the truth. You can even understand the truth, but unless you actually get on that truth and ride it, it's not going to do anything for you. Um, actually, I, I have a bike here, so I'll just pull this out. Um, when, when, you, when you ride a bike, so actually, as I'm pulling this bike out, um, turn to the person next to you and just... Let's just humor me on this. Can you try to tell the person next to you or around you, how do you ride a bike? Like, if you're to try to explain to someone, just assume the other person's never rode a bike before, and they're like, what, what is this thing? What are you, you going to do with it? It's like, I want you to ride this. What is riding it? I don't know. Well, just you're going to put, you're going to put your tush here, and you're going, to, you're going to go on it. Well, I've never done something like this before. What should I do? How do I do this? So that is your challenge right now. Turn to the person next to you and just... Just explain, how do you ride a bike? Give it a shot. See how you can do. I know these. It's always kind of awkward to turn to someone and talk. But yeah, just like, just give it a shot. Like, push yourself a little bit further. Don't just be like, you ride it and you go. You pedal. Like, try to give like some depth. Like, think about it. The, the physics of it. Explain why riding a bike should work. So, um, if, if you want, like and you feel comfortable, why don't you shout it out? Like, let's make this interactive. How, what is something that you told the person next to you? If I was like, what do you do with this, and how, how do you ride a bike? Um, what, and that's how, we, that's how we all talk when we ask questions, right? We just talk like this all the time. Um, but how do, you, how do you ride a bike? What would you say? Um, shout it out to me. Balance. What's that? Balance. Okay, so you just t tell someone, yeah, yeah, well, you get, don't fall. Balance. Good, good. What are some other things? What are, what are some, I feel like we're doing like survey says. Survey says, ding, balance. What are some other things that you would tell... What's that? Momentum. Momentum. Okay, so you got to keep it going. Like, don't stand still. Like, as soon as you get on the bike, just go. All right? Well, can you imagine hearing that for the first time? Like, okay, get on this thing, don't fall, and just go. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, so keep going. You're doing great. How Whoa, okay. Go, one more. What's Look where you're going. Okay, keep your eyes above you. Now, I, that feels kind of counterintuitive to me. I get on a bike, and I'm just looking at the ground because I don't want to fall. I don't want to hit things. But one of the ways that you do is you keep your head up, and you look forward. Good. Any other? other? What, wear a helmet. That's good. So be safe because you're going to get hurt. This is going to be tricky. That's awesome. That's good. That's, that's a mom in the room. Um, <laughs> uh, well, maybe one more. Let's just do one more here. Yeah. All right, so go through the mechanics of the bike. Explain the bike, she said. So like, yeah, there's, there's so many different parts of a bike. Like these are pedals, and these are wheels, and this is the, 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 the tush cush, and, and here's, here's, the, here's the handlebars, and, and you hold on to the handlebars, and then you tell a person to get on the bike. And, but if you, can you remember the first time you rode a bike? 
And just, whoa, don't hit the TV. That would have been expensive. <laughs> but you get on a bike and just feel like, remember how unstable you felt when you first started getting on it? Can you remember is it either whether you learned as a child or later on in life, you get on the bike and you're like, what am I doing? You get the training wheels and you're leaning left and right. But then all the advice that people are giving to you, I, I just remember putting my son on the bike and being like, all right, Thomas, here we go. I'm going to push you. And he's like, dad, I'm scared. And I'm like, just balance and don't fall and go. And I just pushed him. Like, I just kind of hoped that he'd figure it out. Sorry, I don't mean to bump into you as we go through there. Nice. How you doing? How's, how's the day going? Welcome. Welcome to Rain Valley Church. So, um, so we, we, we feel so unstable, but everything that someone is shouting to you in that moment when you're trying to ride the bike feels so counterintuitive. When they say, like, lean into your turn, like, what does that mean? It's like, it means I've got to, like, lean the way that I'm turning, but everything, everything in my body says, go away from the ground, Right? And when the people say, put your head up, like, and look where you're going, everything in me says, I don't want to hit something on the ground. And so I, I look to the ground. When people say, like, like you got to, like, counterbalance, you got to lean opposite directions or you, momentum, like, I'm terrified. I don't want to go faster. But people say, pedal more. But do you remember that moment when you rode the bike when it first started to click? Do you remember that moment when all of a sudden you're on, you're like, wait a minute, I got this. I don't know how to turn yet, but I got this. And all of a sudden, it was like, I know, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. This is incredible. Like, this is awesome for me. I think that's the picture that we get about discovering and experiencing truth with Jesus. There are so many truth claims and teachings that he gives to us. Where he says, you know, if you would just hold to my teachings, you will discover that they're truth. And that truth will set you free. Now, if we've been in church for a long time, I think we forget just how absurd some of the things that we believe appear to the world outside of us. And, and how crazy some of the thoughts are and some of the beliefs are. And so we just sort of like assume, like, well, don't you believe that? I mean, almost like riding a bike. As a parent, I rode my bike for such a long time, and I forgot just how basic I had to get when I was trying to explain it to my son. But I also was re-engaged with how scary and frightening it was for him to first get on that bike. And I forgot in my own life how risky it felt to first get on there. And as followers of Jesus, I think sometimes we forget just how risky it feels to start following Jesus. When he tells us to obey certain things, when he tells us to set aside like our sexual desires for marriage, or he tells us to like put our trust in him and he's the only way and the truth and the life when there's a, a plethora of ideas, how do we know if he's right? Like all these things feel kind of risky and scary at first. When he talks about forgiveness, when everything in us just wants to get revenge and, and protect ourselves. Those things feel risky, but Jesus says, you do, hold on to my teachings, hold to it. And then as you do, you're gonna discover that it's, it's true, it's reliable. You can stand and build your life on it. And as you do, that's when it's gonna set you free. And, and, and as we express truth to the world around us, I think so often we're, we're, we're so busy trying to fight truth claim against truth claim. You say this, I say this. Potato, potato. Like we're we're going to fight back and forth on certain things. And, and sometimes the truth is, is going to be inviting us to live countercultural to what's being expressed in the world around us. And we can try to take the truth claim as to why we believe something different to the world around us. Or we can, we can show them in the evidence in our lives. I mean, it can be nice to have a lot of different ideas. But we, we are in this, this crazy time. And how do we live this out? And I think there's this picture in the Old Testament that really helps us understand it. And so if you want with your Bibles, if you have them and they're in front of you underneath the seats, so if you'd like to read, 
uh, on your own. Otherwise, you can open your Bible app. I'll be reading from the NIV on the screen behind me, so if you're looking for the right translation. But I want to invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 3 with me, because truth is reliable. Truth is a person found in Jesus, and as we trust Jesus, he forms himself in us, and that happens by the, you know, by the Holy Spirit as we ponder on him and as we put that into practice. And as the world is pushing and pulling us in different ways of truth, they need to see a different kind of truth and action. And I, th I think this gives us a way to kind of contextualize what we're called to do with these concepts. So if you're there, uh, you, can, you can go there. And I need to get there too, actually. That would be good if I use this time to get to the Bible. <clears throat> this moment in Daniel is, um, I will see if you could maybe think through some of the um, similarities to what's going on in Daniel's time uh, that was going on to our time. We actually did this uh, uh, last week in our student ministry, and as I was thinking about it, I'm like, God, this actually really fits to what we're talking about as a church right now with truth. But at the time that Daniel was written, um, the people of God, the Jewish people, were, were in exile. They had been um, overtaken. Um, they had been overrun and dominated, like just obliterated by the Babylonians. Um, they, were, uh, they lived a very opposite way to the Jewish people. They had completely conflicting ideologies in the way that they did politics, governments, law, right and wrong. And they had a completely different understanding of the world in terms of how it was created. They had a different, whole different mythology and a whole different understanding of that. And they were basically demanding and, and trying to cause other people to adopt their ways and their views. And so King Nebuchadnezzar um, wants to change the world. And so what does he do? He goes to the best and brightest youth. And I tell this to our youth. I think really, like, our youth really hold a lot of power when it comes to the future. And I think the world knows this. And so so many of the things and some of the ideas go to shaping and, 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 and forming our children. And so... King Nebuchadnezzar goes to the children and, and, and he says, like, hey, I'm going to pull the best and the brightest from all these different groups. I'm going to teach you my language. I'm going to teach you our ways. And then from you, because you're the youth, you're going to go influence the youth around you. And from that, <clears throat> we're going to change the world. And we find these, three, uh, these four Jewish boys that were selected uh, to live and follow uh, um, in those ways. And we'll pick up, pick up our story in, <clears throat> pardon me, um, in verse 3, chapter 1. It says, then the king ordered um, Ashephanes, a chief of his court councils, of his court councils, to bring uh, into his king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And among those who were chosen were from Judah, <clears throat> Daniel, um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, they gave um, Belshazzar. To Hananiah, they gave Shadrach. To Mishael, they gave Meshach. And to Azariah, they gave Abednego. This is where we get the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself <clears throat> from the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself in this way. And now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. <clears throat> but the official said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, uh, the king, who has assigned your food and your drink. Why should I see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would have my head because of you. Now, there's an interesting thing here. We'll get back to it. But really, 
this, this guard was trying to do his best. And he said, like, listen, like, why do you want to do something different? What we are offering you is the best. And when we find ourselves in this moment, in this cultural moment, like everyone in the world is trying to offer their best version of what they think the world should be, their best version of acceptance, their best version of love, their best version of identity and understanding, and all those different kinds of things come to the table. And so the the motives isn't always bad, and sometimes we look at those things like they are the enemy. And, and so Daniel comes to this person, he says, listen, I, I need to do something different. And the guy says, listen, why, why do you want something different? You're going to look worse off if you don't take our advice. And if you look worse off, that's going to be my head. So I, I can't let you do this. Nice idea, but I can't. And then Daniel said to the guard, whom uh, the chief official had appointed, Daniel, Hananiah, Misha, um, Mishael, and Azariah, please, please test your servants for 10 days and give us nothing but vegetables to eat and drink and water to, and, sorry, to eat and water to drink. And then, then compare our appearance of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and they looked better and they looked more nourished uh, than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard actually took away their choice food and wine and they were to give everybody vegetables instead. Well, the moral of the story is eat your vegetables, kids. No. Um, the moral of the story is they made things lame for everybody else. Now he just got to eat broccoli? What the, I don't know. But there's a bigger thing going on in this story. Daniel, these, these, these four young men were swept up into a current in a world that they didn't ask for. They didn't ask to be brought here into the, the royal palace. They didn't ask to be taught things that were against what they believed about God. But that's, their, that's where they found themselves. And when they were asked to obey things, when they were asked to step into and apply the truths of a different world system to their life, they asked for permission and said, listen, can we do something different? And that's where I think we are in this moment right now. There's so many places where the world is offering us different things to obey and think, and we we feel like we're stuck in it. And this is where we could say, can I show you a different way? You want to apply your life that way, that's awesome. But can, can I have permission to do it this way? And the world may look at us like we're crazy, like we're getting on that bike. That doesn't make sense. Those truths, they don't, they don't, they don't add up. But that's when you say, listen, I just want you to watch my life. I know, I'm, I know you're concerned. I know you want the best for me. I know what you think I'm doing is maybe not good for the world. But let me, let me just put this into practice and let me show you. And by my showing, maybe, maybe there you can see the evidence and you can decide for yourself. Um, I think there's some things we can walk away from and take away as we, as we learn how to apply this truth to our life. And the first thing is we look at their lives, they huddled up. They didn't do this alone. Uh, these, these four young men, they gathered together with people who knew and understand God's words. And it's so important for us, whether you're watching us online at home or you're here in this room, it's so much more than just attending and sitting in a church chair and listening to a message. Our, our faith is more than just acquiring content, but we're meant to be in community with one another. We need to be responsible for one another. We need to be leaning on one another and asking each other, how do we understand God's word and truth? We need to be talking about these things because reality is there's so many conflicting messages out there. Um, even the world has conflicting messages within itself, let alone within the church. And within the church, there's different ideas and understandings of theology. And so it's so important that we don't just get on the internet of a web of ideas, but we get together with some people and we talk about it and we understand it together. These, these young men, they understood and they knew God's word and because of it, they knew how to apply it in their context. The second thing is they did this, is rather than confront the world, 
And rather than confront them and say, I don't like your gods. I don't like your food. What you're doing is wrong. I don't believe in your stuff. This stuff is ridiculous. Don't you know there's one God, not many gods? Don't you know, blah, blah, blah. And they didn't post it all over their Babylonian snap feed, face, whatever. Um, what, they, what they did do, though, is they said, listen, can I ask you for some permission? Can you, can you look at me and can you look at my life and can I offer you a different way? And you're offering us this, this is great, but can, can we provide something different? And they gave a tangible suggestion of how to apply the truth in a counterformative and counterintuitive way. And then the next thing they did was they invited trust. They invited trust. They said, would you trust us? I know this doesn't make sense. Because when the guard said, I can't do that for you, they didn't take the first no and say, well, I tried. You know, I think so often we look at like this world, like it's, we're waiting for the world to give us permission to do what God is calling us to do. And as soon as we get a no, we feel stuck and we just kind of go to our corner and we pout and we're just, uh, we're just angst-filled and angry. But instead, I, I think these three, these three guys show us that they, they, they got a no and they said, okay, let me see how I can get to a different yes. Because you know what? I, I understand that you're, you're concerned. I understand that you don't get it, but it's not gonna stop me from doing this. And so if, if we can, would, would, you, would you test us in this? Would you trust us in this? We're just inviting you to trust. And, um, some of the things that we believe, again, in this world may seem offensive to the world. Um, and this is where it's so important to invite others into our lives. Watch our lives. Would you trust us? Would you, would you learn from us? Would you, would you walk with us? Open our house and let people see us up close and to see how this actually works in practice. Because the world is so much less interested in what we believe in all our bullet points and all our statements. What they are interested in is, is does the truth we believe actually work? And so we need to ask people, you know, would you trust me? Why don't you come over and let me pray for you? Let me, you want, can I show you what I, I learned in the Bible today? Can I, you want to come over here? Let's just talk about life. And let me share some of the wisdom in your situation that I'm learning to apply in my own life from God's word that might be helpful to you. We need to invite people close enough and, and build trust with us so that we could say, would you just let our life be the evidence for you? And then the last thing is this, is that they changed their world for the good. I mean, their world, it doesn't say that the whole Babylonian empire changed. This story isn't about that. But for these young men that were all in this camp together, their circumstances improved. They got healthier food. They got healthier lives as a result of it. The atmosphere was elevated because of their application of truth. <clears throat> when we apply truth in our lives, it isn't about huddling up and, and gathering ourselves to make sure that we're all gonna be okay, but we express truth and we let Jesus be formed in us for the sake of the world. And so as we live out this truth, it should be raising the atmosphere of the places that we go. Our marriages should be better. Our families should be more resilient. Our, our workplaces should know something different from us um, because of it. And I love that they served, they served their guard in a nice way. He basically said, my head is on the line. Um, they didn't demand that people get with a program. They just showed that they cared for him by inviting trust. Um, one of the ways that we can get to this is by serving the people around us. I think, I mean, I feel this way, and maybe I'm just confessing myself, but I, I feel so aggravated sometimes when I go through social media and I see certain posts that are out there, and they're out of context, they're just a statement, and it's just designed to just poke at me. Does anyone ever feel that? 
Or you see something happen in media and you're like, that's just not true. Or you see something happen and like, you're just pushing an agenda. And all of a sudden, we just, I just get so like, riled up within me so that I respond by just taking my statements about how I see the world and just want to shove it back in their face and say, well, if you're going to say that, then I have the right to say it this way. But I think the way that God offers us in Scripture and the way that Jesus offers us is by a, a different way. I mean, we, we hold on to those things as truth, but we show it differently and we serve the other people. Um, we should be involved in our politics. We should be involved in our schools and our school boards. But do they first know us as a person who served them and who loved them? In our workplaces, when people believe different things, do, do they first see us as a person who loved them and served them and cared for them before a person who said that we have a different way of living or I don't want to hear your story or I believe a different politic than you do? Because is it, I think that's, that's when people earn that trust and they start to follow us. And we should be active, but we should be active first and serving. As, Je as we look at the life of Jesus, he was the embodiment of truth. What do we see him do? He served his enemy. He, he loved and he listened to people that were unlike him. He was a friend of sinners. He actually sat down and spent time with and met with people who believed completely different things than he did. And Jesus wasn't hurried. Jesus wasn't worried. Jesus wasn't put off by them, but Jesus loved them. And he didn't, he didn't even, make, make, we wouldn't really get the idea that Jesus was demanding that they change their views in order to be with him. But Jesus was unwavering in the truth. Jesus was unwavering in what he believed in. And so as we love and we engage a world around us that is in a lot of different cultural wars, we don't have to be hurried. We don't have to be afraid. But we, we just have to be unwaveringly living out the truth in front of them. So in our, this series, as we talk about let's get real, um, I think what we're talking about is more than just truth, but we're talking about what's the purpose of it all? Is there really meaning? And the world, I believe, is doing its best that it can without Jesus to try to find meaning and purpose to explain the broken things that are really out there. I think the world is doing the best that it can to try to talk about race and its divisions I think the world is doing the best that it can to try to talk about gender and our, our confusion about ourselves and our identity because our identity isn't, the world's identity isn't rooted in the person of Jesus. I think the world is trying to do the best that it can to make sense of all these swelling desires inside of us to do good and to do wrong and to try to make sense of it all and make people feel okay with who they are by doing things and maybe affirming things that we may say no to. And this is where we come in as truth bearers. As we, as we look at the world and all the counterintuitive things that, as we look at the world and what it's offering, and we look at the truth that Jesus is offering us, it says, would you come to me? Would you, would you apply my truth? I mean, it's gonna look different, but would you try it? I mean, would you hold on to it? Because as you do, you're gonna discover it's freedom. Are we, are we gonna understand that it's more than just the mechanics about a bike or the physics of inertia or momentum, but that it's actually something meant for us to live and experience together? And as people seeing us experience that freedom, they turn their heads and they ask us, you know, like, you seem different than the world. And that's when they're gonna ask. And that's when they're gonna talk. And that's when they're gonna engage with us. And that's where I believe we're gonna be winsome. <clears throat> the church, we need to be an example of a transformed life. We need to ask the world, listen, I need your permission, just, well, we don't need their permission. Right? No, no one's stopping us from being kind. No one's stopping us from opening the Bible. No one's stopping us from praying. No one's stopping us from forgiving our, our, our loved ones. No one's stopping us from any of those things. 
No one is stopping us from living out how we're supposed to live for Jesus. No one is. No one can. And so we don't need to be afraid to just apply those truths and then say, you know what? You may not understand all the things that I believe, but can I just show you the proof in my marriage? Can I show you the proof in how our family looks and operates? Can I show you that I'm learning to trust in the good that it's bringing in my life? Watch me, and, and hopefully I'm offering you a more compelling story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't complain. They just trusted and obey. And if you're here exploring truth and don't know where to start, I just want to encourage you, learn some things, trust it, and discover Jesus, and discover grace in that truth. And any time that we're confronted with something that seems to be a claim counter than scripture, we need to bring it back to God's word and humbly ask, how are we supposed to express your truth in light of this? What is it that the world is trying to answer that your word already has answered? And I think this is where we have to be careful sometimes because there are some teachings that are working to deconstruct some things in a way that I don't think is good. But I don't think that's the majority right now. And allow us to have Jesus formed in us to see a Savior who gave us everything and who's worth giving everything for. Because it's in Him that there is truth. It's in Him that there is life. And it's in Him there is freedom and it's in here, there's the tension that the world is looking so hard for. And so this morning, if you feel swept up in a current that is just slapping you on a shore and you feel completely out of control, would you recognize the voice of Jesus to say you don't have to be afraid? I mean, maybe the culture war isn't even really our fight. But maybe in this moment, maybe there's one thing that you can do to trust and obey and experience his freedom because no one's stopping you from experiencing that for yourself. And maybe it's just in doing that that others need to see that's gonna bring the real change. We sang that song, I know the world needs Jesus. Um, but I, I, I think um, what we need to say is that we need Jesus, the world needs Jesus formed in us. The world needs to see the Jesus formed in us to see a better, more reliable, more freedom-giving truth. And that's what happens when we say yes to him and we pursue him as the real thing in our lives. And so let's not just make this a, a one and done conversation. I know that we're still talking about these things, but as we talk about politics, as we talk about these things, let's remember, let's remember that the really our battle is not to get people to get on our side with our truth, but really to show other people his truth. And when you feel the, the tug of culture pulling you in a way that's opposite of God's word, would you hear Jesus' invitation to trust, to hold to it, and to find freedom in it. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, this morning we, we find ourselves in a world that is sometimes feels chaotic. Um, we find ourselves in a world that offers us a, a, a marketplace of ideas. And sometimes we feel like we are left with no choice but to have to give in to the weight of those pressures of the world around us or that this is our fight to fight because the world's changing in a way that we'd like or don't like and we feel out of control. So Jesus, we confess that it isn't ours to control. But within our ability is, and within our control is the ability to say yes to you. And to say, would you form yourself in us? Would you make us more like Jesus? Because the reality is truth is reliable. We could build our lives on it. And Jesus, you're the embodiment of that truth. And so would you form yourself in us? Would you form yourself in us so that as we, 
we bring it to the world that they could see a more compelling and a better story. When the world questions us and they ask that they would see the evidence and that they would see the proof. And would you glorify yourself in us as you do? For those in this room that are just feeling barely holding on, God, would they hear your voice to just trust and obey? For those of us that feel stuck in a rut, Lord, would they hear your invitation to trust you and find freedom? And Lord, as the world is being dashed on the rocks, as you say, the wise and foolish builders, one day destruction and hard times are coming. And when the world is dashed on the rocks of its own ideas, would they see us standing firmly in the rock, your truth, bending down and lending them a hand and showing them a better way. In Jesus' name, amen.